0: Pastor Charles. Well, thank you, Mike, and thank you, Shannon, and Phil, the worship team. Wow! Can you give them a round? Of- Wasn't that so wonderful? Worship together. I I just really missed it. You know what I mean? Like it's been how long? <laughs> Some of you, I think some of you, this is the second time here, but many of you, this is the first time. It's been a long time, yeah? We can see each other face-to-face, sing together. It just, thank you so much, the worship team. I just felt so great singing and worshiping. It just lifts our hearts up, and it's just a strength to our soul. So thank you for that. It was great, and thank you for being here. Appreciate you making the effort to um, fill out the registration and you know, we are capping the number and so you had to like get in. And (laughs) so thank you for making all that effort to be here. It's just the pandemic, right? I do anticipate this to lift in a few months. I think hopefully by January, I think we'll be done with the pandemic, hopefully, and going to endemic phase, and we can have easier time, right? We're all looking forward to that, right? But in the meanwhile, it's great to see you. Have you checked out the basement? It's wonderful down there, isn't it? (laughs) Feel free to hang out after the service, you know, just... Let's enjoy this beautiful space that we are in together. Okay, so we are in a sermon series called How Can Faith Help With? So we're going through different topics of life that faith can help with. And today's topic is regret. How can faith help with regret? Have you ever regretted anything? If you're a human being, I'm sure you have regretted something you know like what is your biggest regret sorry to like bring that up but (laughs) you know i'm sure you have one right how has it affected your life do you think about it a lot if you're like me or any other human being i'm sure regret hits you at times and it grips you and you stay there, and you stew in it. I I was talking with a good friend. Recently, uh, I've known him since college days. He's a great guy, very smart guy. He's a professor of physics at Northwestern, which is an excellent university in Chicago. And so, very smart guy, right? Uh, Sadly, he was recently diagnosed with brain cancer and so uh he has surgery uh unfortunately uh, they couldn't get it all out Uh, it went well but it's brain cancer right so i was talking to him and he says that his best guess he has about five years left and he's actually a little younger than me got kids, married, and so it's really sad, right? Very, very sad. He is one of the nicest guys I know, just an outstanding human being. And uh, it was very sad. Uh, One thing he said caught my attention. He said he really regrets. I mean, he has different regrets, but the biggest regret is that he was stressed out too much in his life, yeah. So, you know, he's a smart guy and uh, I'm very reflective, very spiritual person. And he says, you know, there was just no need to stress that much. When you, when you look back and, and uh, when something like that hits you, I think it gives you perspective, right? There was no need to stress. It was a total waste of time. I was so stressed out so much, (laughs) and there was no need to stress. It was a waste of time. And two, he regrets it because he thinks it contributed to him getting the brain cancer. Now, I don't know if he's right. I don't think there is medical consensus on that issue, but he's a smart guy, and I'm sure he's looked into it. And at least that's what he thinks, that it really was detrimental to his help. So he really regrets it. So anyway, regret. As I, you know, conversation with him really stuck with me for quite a long time. And I started thinking about regret and stress and things like that. And regret, there's a good part to regret, and bad part to regret, isn't it, right? There's a good part to regret in that it helps you do better going forward. You make a mistake, you regret something you did, and it kind of helps set your life in a better direction. In my friend's case, he regretted stressing so much. So he has resolved to um, learn how to reduce stress. So meditation, spiritual disciplines, just Learn how to reduce stress in your life. So regret can help you in that way, right? You have some bad habits. We all have bad habits, right? And we regret them, and that can help us do better going forward. But there's a bad part to regret too, right? If and when regret spills into stewing about your reality, about who you are rather than just confining it to how you can do better going forward, that can turn to blame and bitterness and it can actually be very bad for you. As many of you know, I struggle with constant back pain, right, that started when I got into a skiing accident when I went to Colorado to visit a friend when I was in graduate school. And he took me to skiing and I had a bad fall and discs got herniated and when it didn't get better, I began to stew in like blame and regret and bitterness. I began to blame myself for what happened. I I thought to myself, I'm such an idiot. Why did I do what I did, right? I hadn't skied in a while. Why did I go down? Triple black diamond, slope. You know, skiing, when you think about it, I mean, why do people do it, right? I mean, you're on like two flimsy sticks and you're going down at death-defying speed. What do you expect would happen, right? And so, you know, I just began to steal. I even blamed my friend who took me skiing, right? In my heart right? And, and it wasn't rational. It wasn't fair to him that I would blame him for taking me to skiing. But, you know, when you are like regretting and you are in bitterness, you you do things like that. You blame. And it actually poisoned my friendship with him, right? Because it, it did something to my heart and He felt bad, and I didn't feel good, and it's just... And it's one of the biggest regrets of my life in that I lost that friendship. It was a great friendship, and it's one of the biggest loss in my life to just lose that friendship because I started to stew in bitterness. And that's not good. It can be very detrimental, regretting things when it spills into your view of self or your friends or your reality, puts you in a mindset of preferring some imagined reality. That's what regret is, right? I wish I did this instead of that. I wish I zigged when I should have zagged, right? I I wish I took this job instead of that job. I wish I moved to that city instead of this city. I wish I, you know, you can go on and on and on about every aspect of your life, right? But that's preferring some imagined reality that doesn't really exist, right? It just only exists in your head. If you have made a different choice, then the whole reality will be different, right? It doesn't exist. And you're living in some imagined distorted reality instead of actual reality. And you can't come alive fully there. Last week, I talked about the goal of faith is to come alive fully as a human being. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. You can't come alive when you are stuck in some imagined reality. You can't find God there. God is only found in actual reality. It's not a place where you can prosper. So there are good parts to regret and really bad parts to regret. How can you tell? Good part is when it's confined to performance. when it's confined to things you do. But regret metastasized into judging and rejecting who you are. And your reality can be quite bad. Research has shown it can literally shorten your life, right? It shortens your telomeres. That's your cell's uh, ability to regenerate. So regret can actually literally break down your body. So it's not good. It can do that. So how can faith help with regret, confine it to the good part and not bad parts, right? That's what I want to talk about today. The Bible offers great insight about that in a passage called Parable of the uh, Prodigal Son. From the book of Luke, chapter 15. It's a great story. It's called the Gospel in a Story. So here it is. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to the father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Great passage. I love this It's my favorite story. It's wonderful. There's so much to explore here. But for today... I want to focus on just one particular part of this story. That is, this prodigal son expresses regret about his actions, right? He is in a a pig pen and he's starving and he regrets what he did to get there, right? So he rehearses a speech, to get back to his father. He rehearses in his head, this is what I will say to my father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your higher servants. That's regret, right? And he is right to regret his actions. Wouldn't you agree? He acted like an ass. Excuse my language, but he was a total tool, right? Very bad so he should regret what he did but here's the interesting part when it comes to the father he tries to say what he rehearsed in his head but he doesn't get to complete his sentence the son said to him father i have sinned against heaven and against you i am no longer worthy to be called your son up to this part it's exactly word by word the same thing he rehearsed right Exactly every word matches, but the last part is not there. Do you see the difference, right? He does not get to complete the sentence. The father, who represents God, cuts him off, right? Before he can go on to complete his rehearsed thing, As soon as the father hears, I am no longer worthy to be called your son, the father cuts him off. He is unable to say, make me like one of your hired servants. That part is gone. Do you see that? Right? You see, when he says, I have sinned, that's about what he did. And that is correct. He messed up. And he is right to say that. It's good that he realizes it. But when he tries to say, I am no longer worthy to be called your son, make me like one of your hired servants, the father cuts him off mid-sentence. That part is about who he is. Do you see that? I am no longer worthy. Make me like your hired servants. That's a proposal, right? Right? I, I am not your son anymore. I am your servant now. That's about who he is, right? And that part is not allowed. In God's eyes, the son never lost the sonship. The father says, my son was dead, is now alive. Was lost, is now found. A dead son is still a son, right? It's not a servant. It's, it's still a son. It's a change in the state of you know being, but not who he is, right? So the lesson here is, yes, you can and should examine your actions, try to do better if you make mistakes, but mistakes should not define who you are. Amen? For those of us with faith, mistakes do not define us. If we can just believe. God loves you unconditionally, no matter what. The mistakes do not have to define us, right? In this case, the son did horrible things, but the father still loves him. So that, that's clear, right? The father still loves him, no matter what. That's a picture of unconditional love. He will, the son will never lose his identity as a beloved son. And if you can just believe that for yourself today in your heart, I am beloved. I am accepted. I am worthy. No matter what mistakes I make. Right? Then, mistakes do not have to define you. You will never be a loser. You can lose, but you will not be a loser. And that's a precious thing. Instead of getting trapped in things like regret, you can live your reality. You can shake it off. You can shake off your mistakes instead of getting trapped in there and staying there forever. You can just shake it off and go on into the future, your best future that God has for you. The past doesn't have to define you. Amen? That's a powerful thing. That should be of interest to all human beings, regardless whether you have faith or not. This kind of thing is good for your mental health, right? Those of you in therapy, wouldn't you agree? Like being able to shake it off and move on, that's like a goal of therapy, right? And so this is a great thing. So here are some practical suggestions. When regret hits you, separate the performance part from your Identity and worth. And one tip with that is be very, very careful with the language you use to yourself or to people around you or to your kids. Um, This is a great parenting tip, actually, for those of you who are parents. You know, you got to teach your kids to be careful with the language. Don't use the I am language right, when you or they make a mistake, don't do very well, you lose, make sure that they don't use, I'm a loser, you know, I am an idiot, right, even around them, you know, sometimes I can kind of, ah, I'm such an idiot, (laughs) right, (laughs) why would I do that, I'm such an idiot, but be careful with that kind of language, I am language. You can lose, but you're not a loser, right? Make sure to use the I did language, right? Make a mistake, say I made a mistake. Instead of I am language. That makes sense, right? This may not seem like such a big deal, right? But actually, I assure you, this is a huge deal. I mean, as parents, I think we focus more on like how well are you doing on your class and, you know, what grade did you get in English and math and history. But seriously, who really cares like exactly what year Columbus came to America, right? Do you even remember? I mean, just Google it, right? I I mean, why is that such a big deal? If you can instill in your kids this kind of resiliency and mental fortitude and emotional intelligence, I assure you that will be really good for the the rest of their life. I wish I learned stuff like that when I was young. That, That can help you in your careers, in your relationships, in your ability to bounce back from failures. It's a great thing. So... In God's eyes, you are always the beloved. So you can make mistakes, but you're never a mistake in God's eyes. Live by that faith, and it will help you. Second suggestion, find joy in as many things as possible today. Today. Find joy in as many things as possible today. You know, sometimes we think faith is like a killjoy, right? There is like a popular perception, like righteous people, faith people look like this. (laughs) Right? You know, all serious, no fun, you know, they're out to kill all fun, you know, all grim righteousness. But the father invites the son to a feast. Right? The father, God, Father represents God, and the feast represents heaven. Heaven is a party. They, are, they, they have killed a fattened calf, and they're drinking, and they're eating. They're having a good time. We must never forget that. Did you know that the most common description of Jesus by his contemporaries is that he was known for partying, for eating and drinking? It says, the Son of Man, Jesus, came eating and drinking, Like, Jesus admits this himself. I came eating and drinking, he says, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, people who like to party. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus was known for partying. I mean, when you look at, when you think about it, when you look at all these passages, Jesus is very often found in a party. Right? All his, many, most of his teachings comes from like like a party thrown by Levi, a party thrown by Zacchaeus, a wedding at Cana. You know, just we we focus on the teachings, but when you think about the context of where it was happening, it is very often in a party. (laughs) It was eating and drinking. Even our central sacrament communion. Today, it's a very solemn affair, right? But when it was first instituted in the early churches, it was basically a party. You know, people brought food and drinks, and they just had a party together. That was communion, originally. And so, that's, we should never forget this. Now, I'm not advocating gluttony and you know, alcoholism. That's bad. Alcohol, alcoholism is a serious killer. Overeating is a serious killer. We do need to take that seriously. But the point I'm trying to make is that Jesus was not this grim figure who was always thinking about what is wrong with this world. Because it's easy to do that. It's so easy to fall into what is wrong with this world, what is wrong with people, you know. I mean, just, I was driving yesterday and this taxi just went... I had to go into like the opposing lane to avoid this taxi. I was so mad. What is wrong with you? And my son in the back was like, Dad, it's okay. We didn't get into an accident. I'm like, we could have. <laughs> people, you know, we need to do better, you know. It's so easy to get into that space. But that's what Pharisees majored in. The religious people who were enemies of Jesus measured in, pointing out what's wrong with this world. We have to remember that. We need to find joy, find what's right, and be grateful. You know, that's what my friend, who I started this sermon with, would say. You know, what he said to me. When you think about it, life is not that long, right? Things happen to you. And even if things like brain cancer doesn't happen to you, other things can happen. And I'm sorry to be a downer, but the best we can hope for is to live till 80, 90, and it's over, guys. Right? Isn't that true? And so let's live with that perspective. Have some perspective about life. It's not that long. So let's not waste these precious moments of life that God has given us as a gift with things like useless regret and stress. Let's find joy in each moment that God has given us. And we can do that in faith, just believing that we are the beloved and God is waiting for us with a party. And so that can give you the strength to live each day with as much joy as possible. Amen? Let's do that. C.S. Lewis said, joy is serious business of heaven. Joy is serious business of heaven. Let's find joy in life. Let me pray for us. God, I just pray for joy in our hearts this morning. Life is a precious gift from you. We should not take it for granted. Each and every day, help us to find as much joy as possible. Help us. Put our hearts right, O oh God. Put our hearts into a right space, even now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, To turn our hearts from dwelling on all the wrong things, and there are many wrong things. Help us to turn away from that and to park our hearts in joy, in gratitude, in the things that you have placed in our lives that do bring us joy. Help us. Help us to live in that place. A feast to turn away from all the regret and to find joy in your embrace, O God. Even this morning as we worship, I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to come and fall upon us and put us on the right track. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll stand up. With you.